Growing up, I had a few favorite book series, with Judy Bloom Books and The Babysitter's Club being two of my top picks. Every Saturday, I remember sitting on the steps by our large window and visualizing in my mind the setting, plot, and characters as I read intently. And like my teachers had taught me to do, I became these characters while reading. The majority of the books had white main characters, and so even though I knew I was a black girl, I grew up with an internal frame of reference that centered whiteness. I knew about black inventors, activists, and scientists, but I wasn't reading about them or seeing them represented in the text that I was introduced to, unless it was for a special report or month of the year. But representation matters every day. So let's start today's episode by continuing to think about representation. Think about the books that you have either in your classroom library, if you are a teacher, or in your home library for your own children. How many of these titles center around characters that look like the kids that read them? Out of the ones that offer a different perspective, how often do you explicitly talk about these differences with your kids or your students? Do you have an explicit plan to talk about what is happening in these books to connect the setting, plot, and characters to the socio-political nature of today's climate and to celebrate diversity as a strength? Or are these books simply sitting and waiting for a child to possibly make these connections on their own? I admit, some of these are difficult questions. They might make you uncomfortable, but pushing through your discomfort is the only way for us to grow as individuals and to ensure that we are giving our children as many opportunities as possible. Right now, you might be thinking that this discussion about books is best suited for language arts, and why does representation even matter in the math classroom anyway? Well, as the NCTM and many other math organizations and scholars have stated, we teach more than math. We teach people and people have rich cultures and histories that follow them everywhere they go, even into the math classroom. Children's books offer amazing entry points into cultures and histories, and I'm here to tell you that there are so many fantastic kids' books available that focus on many different backgrounds while also centering the field of mathematics. You can head to my website, www.kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast for a list of children's books to get your math library started. Rich storylines and culturally relevant representations indicate to children that I am a math person and that people who are a part of my culture as well as other cultures are math people. When children can see themselves in what they are doing, emotional and cognitive engagement is sure to follow. I was always amazed with how much information my third graders internalized after just one reading of a rich picture book, and equally amazed at how many questions they came up with after we read one of these books together. And one of the key words here is together. Research has shown that making these connections doesn't just happen with the simple act of adding more books to your library. This can't be done in isolation 
or through osmosis. We as adults use books to help us have meaningful conversations about topics like bullying, kindness, and perseverance with children all the time. We have to be brave enough to build our library and then intentionally plan to read aloud and have a conversation around books that introduce societal structures as well as cultures and histories. If this sounds like it will be uncomfortable for you, I encourage you to really think about what you believe about the teaching and learning of mathematics and to ask yourself, Why would this be so uncomfortable for you? And is your own comfort more important than building identity and agency in children? As the NCTM states, equitable mathematics teaching develops both identity and agency by encouraging children to view themselves as having ownership of mathematical meaning. If we are not actively developing positive identities and agency for our students, then we are hindering their growth. We can use stories about math and mathematicians to move toward more equitable spaces, spaces where we acknowledge and talk about race, culture, and what the world was like 50, 70, and 100 years ago, as well as about what is happening in our world today and how one decade influences another, towards spaces where all children see themselves as competent and capable. With today's guest, we start this conversation about representation and culturally relevant teaching in the math classroom in order to build positive mathematical identities for all learners. Welcome to the Kids Math Talk podcast, where in each episode, we give parents and educators practical tips and insights that will deepen mathematical understanding while also encouraging the conversation about math to remain active and positive. I'm your host, Desiree Harrison, elementary math coach and Kids Math Talk founder. Our guest today has experience as an administrator, classroom teacher, and an instructional coach, totaling to almost 20 years devoted to the field of education. She currently serves as the consultant development manager for Math Solutions, and she also has a website and blog called Black Girl Math, where culture and computation connect. Veda Gray, welcome to the Kids Math Talk podcast. Thanks so much, Desiree. Thanks for having me. I was first introduced to you through the November 2020 NCTM virtual conference where I um, attended one of your sessions talking about talk and math talk and how to engage in in strategies for creating that excitement with your own students. And um, I would like to talk more about that in a few minutes. But first, I would love to learn more about your time as an instructional coach, because not only were you thinking about math but your work also centered around literacy and science. And then all of that and through a culturally responsive teaching framework. And sometimes we refer to this as CRT. So please tell us about that work, what you learned from that work and why shifting our own practice is so important uh, from your viewpoint. 
Wow, that's a that's a big question. Uh, and thinking about all of it, and and so as an instructional coach, it was really around how to support teachers um, in schools with implementing culturally responsive strategies into their instruction. And so I started out pretty early on, just learning more and more about it as a classroom teacher myself, and really in supporting and in a group of teachers, we were able to really think about using literature in elementary school and literature that was focused on and so that our students, um, I mostly had Black and Latinx students at the time, focusing on their culture, their background, so that they can see themselves and how to bridge what they were bringing to the classroom to you know, being successful students and using their what's now called cultural capital into the classroom and so that they can see it as a benefit and an advantage um, so that they can um, use that and move to successful students in the classroom. And so as a teacher and as a coach, I was able to do that for other teachers um, across the country. And so I started off when schools in Oakland and moved across the country um, in various places in Missouri and New Jersey. And so that helped me think about all of that uh, and really focusing on, because it was three different topics and, and, and content areas and really focusing that um, into math once I joined Math Solutions about uh, almost 10 years ago. And so all of that work, I mean, I learned so much. One, I learned how much you have to get to know your students. And in some ways I learned it the hard way uh, because of just um, struggling with, bringing myself to the classroom and then also allowing my students to bring themselves um, no matter where they were. And so I really learned about how to meet them in the classroom and really that it was about them and meeting their needs so that they can see themselves and be successful. And so I take all of those lessons, um, even the hard ones, um, into my work even to this day. Loving this podcast? Great. Subscribe so you know when new episodes are released and leave us a review on Apple so that others can find these episodes. We are stronger together. In regards to bringing in more literature and really integrating the content areas so we're not living in these silos, I'm thinking about how in my own practice, when we implemented a new curriculum resource, there was a list for each grade level that had suggestions for literature to pull in, to bring in, to make that connection. But now I'm thinking back to the types of books that were suggested. And yes, they're wonderful for bringing in mathematical connections, but they weren't necessarily talking about stories or people's journeys or anything that uh, would bring more of our own students' cultures into that classroom space. So that's something additional for us to think about. And the hard struggle is that many teachers still see that math may be separate from my culture and my background and what I bring into the classroom. And that, hey, just learn these numbers, just learn these problems, you'll do well. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is, culture is to humans as water is to fish. And I might've flipped that around, but Wade Noble said that. And so I can't separate my blackness from 
me learning, you know, multiplication and learning that and how important it is to know that my ancestors created mathematics. Like that's important to know so that our students don't see themselves as failures or like, I can't do math or I'm not a math person. Like, well, your ancestors were. And so thinking about how do you bring all of that into the classroom and doing math that's, you know, within their community and not something separate, like you said, that we may, some teachers are easily able to do that in literature because that might be their background. And so what I do is how do we take those strategies that we've learned in literature and we might be able to do in social studies and bring it into the math classroom because it's just as important. Yes, it is absolutely just as important. And we need those constant reminders that it is just as important. I'm taking a quick break to remind Kids Math Talk listeners about all of the math professional development books that are available through Corwin Mathematics at us.corwin.com. Many of the authors of some of the latest titles have been guests on the podcast. Search for Teaching Math at a Distance, Activating Math Talk, and also building thinking classrooms to get you started. Want free shipping? Of course you do. Use our special code KMTSHIP. That's K-M-T-S-H-I-P, all caps, at checkout. Now let's get back to the interview. What you said about bringing yourself into the classroom and helping students bring themselves into or keep themselves because they are already in the classroom, but let helping them understand that it is okay to express themselves in the classroom, in the math classroom, they don't have to cut themselves off. And I just keep coming back to what you have on your blog. I have it up right now where culture and computation connect. So that's creating even more meaning for me right now. I would not have been, I have to say, give my props to my teachers in elementary school because I wouldn't even begin to think and begin to be as confident as I am now if they hadn't been able to incorporate those strategies, like talking in groups. So I I was one of those students who took algebra in eighth grade. One, because my uh, math teacher at the time in sixth grade was like, hey, he went to my mother and said, you know what, she'll do really well and let's put her on track for eighth grade math. So, you know, again, thinking ahead that I could take advanced mathematics when I got to high school. And that, of course, changed my life because I was a reader. I was, you know, I was a bookworm. And so the fact that he suggested that to my mother and then pretty much held our hands to go through that with, and my brothers also followed because they were a year, two years younger, three years younger than I was. And so that just like changed my outlook on math. And then the fact that we were in a small group, we worked together. I mean, we still did the traditional things of, yeah, you got to go to the board and you got to write down the problem, but it was also, I could go to him for help. And that has just, you know, really changed how I thought about that in my own classroom. And then when I'm in classrooms with leaders and with teachers, you know, I look around like, what community have you built for your student so that, like you said, they do see themselves in the classroom because they are seeing themselves trying out the problems. No matter how hard or difficult that may be, they have some way to access this in, in terms of the tools and also the tasks that they're doing. Having meaningful tasks. And when we say meaningful, making it meaningful for your students, which means you have to know your students. 
culturally responsive teaching isn't just about checking off a box or saying that, okay, now it's like this cultural month. Uh, so like, so it's a uh, native American month is this month. So I'm going to check off some boxes or it's black history month. So I'm going to check off some boxes because that might actually not be re- culturally relevant to the students in your room. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't bring those in, but really knowing your students, knowing their backgrounds and culture. So you can bring in whatever is relevant to them. That's really like what, what one of the goals is. I absolutely agree. And, and as one of the things I put in my last blog, even though that equation sounds easy, it takes a lot of work to implement that. First, you have to get some good tasks because your students can't talk about, so I always say students can't really talk about five plus five. It's going to be 10. Now they might break down five in different ways, but it's going to be 10. And if that's the only way they can access it is through some symbols and putting an answer. And if they don't have that knowledge yet, like then we got to take a step back. What tools, say for example, does Levada need to figure out this problem? But we want to think about, but again, how can I talk with others to figure out, oh, seven and three make it? All right, let me build it. That does make a 10. And what types of tools I'm using and being able to hear, talk with my neighbors here versus, you know, just hearing it from the teacher. So thinking about five plus five or equals 10, really what I want to for students to do, not just that problem, but I also want them to know all of the numbers that make up 10 so that they can begin to compose and decompose that. And because those are the building blocks of numbers and thinking about how to take this knowledge that I have to make sense of as a student and bridge that to multiples of 10 when I'm thinking about multiplication and groups of, but I have to have this foundation. So I have to have all those pieces together, such as talking about it, being able to hear what my other, like my partner is saying, whether it's in a small group. And now in, you know, in the pandemic, how can I get that done when we're all online or we're in a hybrid? So I might have some kids in the classroom or some students in the classroom, and then I might have some students online. And so thinking about all the ways that, I can, as an instructor, as a teacher, as an educator, how can I support other educators with putting in, uh, putting into that equation and building up the equation so that they have all the parts to support their students and mainly those students who are struggling. And a lot of times those students who are struggling look a lot like me. Interested in learning even more about representation and humanizing mathematics? The National Council of Teachers of Mathematics has many opportunities to connect and learn, including their upcoming annual conference. Visit www.nctm.org for more details. About the tools reminded me of a podcast a few episodes ago when we were talking about concrete representational abstract and just the different phases of fluency and how this model, the CRA model fits into that and how Something that seems so simple to us as adults, like nine plus one equaling 10, is incredibly complex. And there's there's so many pieces to it. And it just takes time and 
practice and meaningful tasks because in, so this quote, this personal quote of yours, I absolutely love it. I'm just going to read the piece to support thinking. You need the right combination of rigorous tasks, appropriate tools, and lots of productive talk tasks plus tools plus talk equals thinking. And that's just, it's simple to remember that equation, but it's not easy to to get those parts. You have to be incredibly intentional. And thinking about us in the virtual environment, how do we maintain that concrete, representational, and abstract when we have this keyboard in front of us? We have to we have to remember that it's not just the symbolic. We have to be creative with our virtual manipulatives and all the different participation structures that we can put kids into to get at that that last piece that equals the thinking that to get at that talk. Absolutely. And, and I have to uh, attribute um, my quote in having a conversation with Marilyn Burns, who's also the founder of Mass Solutions and is, you know, uh, you know, has been doing this work for 50 years and talking with students. And so we were having a conversation around talk moves. And that equation just came up for me because of everything that needs to be put in place, just like our students um, have to, or let's say for me as a learner, I learn from others. And so even my, you know, world has been more virtual and where I'm learning from. And so, you know, conversations with Marilyn, also being able to take a class with Dr. Mike Flynn out of Mount Holyoke, who has been sharing more and more around how do we engage learners online. And so, that has helped me of like, just like for me, I need people to talk to, same thing for our students. And so how do we build that um, for all of them and also give them the tools, whether they are concrete in front of them, whether it's tools at home, hey, go go find like 10 pennies and we're gonna use that for the, you know, for your workstations today. And so how do we continue to do that? And for our students who, you know, of, and I'll, I'll use the term of collectivist cultures. So you mentioned Native Americans. Blacks uh, and you know in and in some cultures Latinx that they really do need support with being able to learn in a community and then drawing out that already now how do I show my learning but that community has to be in talk talking through you know putting them into either breakout sessions or having the other students turn off their cameras and you know talking in small groups and just. I, I see the struggle and hear the struggle from my friends who are teachers and also seeing the struggle as I read um, the short tweets on Twitter lately around what teachers are doing and how they're, you know, how they're managing during this time and in this new landscape. And so, I, you know, it's still a belief. And so just now, how do we do it in a different platform around how to get students to learn what we need them to learn about math? Yes, because it's not about the behaviors. It's about that emotional engagement and the cognitive engagement and what you said about just getting supplies. That could make all the difference for a kid. They don't have to have something super fancy in order for it to be effective. And it just needs to, they need to be able to make sense of it. And actually pulling things around their house, I would think might pull into being more culturally relevant or just just relevant for them because then they're thinking that oh this math does exist in my own home mm. where or in my own room or that that I can use I can look at look at an object for its 
initially intended purpose, but I can also repurpose it to help me gain more understanding and some concept. And that's going to bring in more context too, to help with the, with the task. So it's not just this isolated something that we're having kids do for who knows what reason, but it's. Yeah. It's still in the isolation and where with our thinkers, you know, and in, in my blog, I focus more on black students, even though, you know, I've seen strategies work with Latinx students and all of that to say that, yeah, we just got to keep them in mind and know what they need. And, you know, if it's 10 pennies, all right, it's not the, you know, red and yellow uh, counters that I would have if I was in the classroom. And also that idea of, how do we reach them? And so you mentioned my NCTM, my most recent NCTM presentation, and where I had 200, you know, 200, 200 plus people. And all I c- could see was, you know, maybe a few people who were on camera, but a lot of it, they weren't even on camera. And so I had to think about different ways that I could have you all as, you know, participants interact. And so a lot of, one of the easiest things that I did was like, hey, just just talk about it in chat. Now, one of the strategies is now go, you know, you gave an answer. And again, that's if you had it, but even some of our students might not, but now go in and look at someone else's response and explain, you know, how, you know, do you agree? Do you disagree with that answer? You know, how can you add on to that? Or maybe it's an answer that you didn't even think of. And so how do we find different ways, even if they're not on camera, around just engagement. And so that's um, thinking about your recent podcast around talk moves, just how do we continue the learning and continue to give our students multiple opportunities to do that in ways that make sense right now? It's multiple opportunities. And I, I think a lot of times teachers forget about that chat because if depending on the the screen size and the like the the age that like the younger students it is I'd say more of a challenge for the typing but if you're in upper elementary the chat isn't always utilized as it could be and it could simply be that being not as familiar with the technology and if you have a cer- a certain layout you might not even see the chat So you have to intentionally pull that chat up and intentionally use it as a strategy. I definitely agree with what you're saying, and especially depending on the age. So I want to I want to say, yes, the typing is more for upper elementary. I have nephews that are in first grade and so in second grade. And so they you know, it's a lot of writing. It's a lot of, you know, pulling down the camera. Dr. McClendon talks about it in work mode. And just writing and manipulating. So it might not be, for example, typing on the screen. But again, how do you engage them with, all right, show me one way to make 10. All right, show me a different way. Or show me how you broke down in your picture, how you broke down seven times seven to figure out that it's 49. Or other things that other other teachers are doing. And knowing that, and they don't have that free flow because they might not be in a building with another person. Many more teachers are working in silos. And so thinking about, you know, where can you get that support? And, and, you know, how have you built your community now that you might be in home in front of a screen like this? Your community goes back to the norms that you created at the beginning of your time with your class and also coming back to revisit those norms because maybe something you're learning every day, the students and you as the teacher. So how can... Uh, maybe a norm isn't working or needs to be readjusted. 
So keep continuing to keep those in mind. And I love that idea about looking at the chat and then the kids responding because that can get into even more of those talk moves with they can add on to what another kid has said. Even they can add on verbally or they can continue in the chat Mm -hmm. too. Or they could have, I know in one of your more recent webinars, you are talking about different strategies. And one of them is to use a tool like a virtual whiteboard. So like something like Jamboard. So they could, if they're not, if a kid isn't comfortable with using the microphone and they're not able to, or they're not comfortable with the chat or just a different way to do it, they could go on a Jamboard or maybe they could have um, an emoji response or something, you know, something. So they're, they're different ways. We just have to be willing to think and the like outside the box is what people call it a lot, I guess. Like, now. <laughs> yeah. So just, we have to think differently because this isn't what we're used to. For many of us, nowhere close. I mean, even for me, I've learned many of, the, of my new strategies in supporting and teaching online or, you know, providing professional learning or coaching online from, again, my, my coworkers have been a, a saving grace of like, hey, I just learned this or I just tried this. All right, let's get together. Let's, you know, talk about it for 15 minutes. Let's all practice it. All right, now go out, test it out and see, you know, how many more students, you know, even checking off on, you know, if you if you have a list in front of you or, you know, on a post-it, like how many more students were engaged in that, did that work? And also having to have um, a book bag or a toolbox, whatever imagery you need, whatever you need to pull out, because again, you have to have a, a stack of them so that you can like, already that's not working or you're getting crickets, you know, no one's talking or no one's responding in chat or no one's showing their work or coming on camera today because it might've been a hard day. So now maybe, like you said, I'll go into whiteboard.com or I'll go into Jamboard because I know a lot of schools are using Google Suite and you know, what, what will it take? Or is, will it take just getting students to turn on a camera again, if they're comfortable by just holding up a piece of paper, you know, answers up, here's my answer on the screen. Here's what I drew. And then, Hey, they shut the camera back off because that that's as far as they can go. And we have to be okay with that. You have to. Yeah. And it, yeah, it takes that practice on, you know, on my part in terms of learning with my colleagues. Yes, absolutely. Because there are so many professional development West sessions that I've been a part of in my own district and for, for other organizations where people are engaged, teachers are engaged, but they don't have their camera on because they're, for whatever reason, but if you as the adult are tempted to turn your camera off, then it should be okay for your class to not always have their camera on because sometimes it's just... You just don't want your camera on. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the nature of it. It just gets to be a lot sometimes. I mean, many computers, I mean, even with my coworkers, sometimes the, the camera's not even working. It's like, I don't even know how to figure out how to get on the camera. And by that point in time, we're, you know, 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, and we've, we've lost that connection time. And so a lot of it is around how do we connect you know, how do we connect using tools? How do we connect using talk? So if you can, you know, you put them into breakout rooms or a separate, you know, room 
to talk about the work, or maybe it is, hey, maybe it is you pull a small group of students, three or four students, and you turn off your camera and your microphone, and they're just talking. And so that, you know, you're listening, but they're engaged in that practice so that they know um, how to talk with one another about the math, especially nowadays, because like you said, it would be so much easier when we were in person um, and, you know, how different that was and how our norms were different. And now we just have different norms. Yeah. And you, you talk about some of those strategies in your most recent blog post about creating equitable spaces. I would argue is going to make your students feel more comfortable. So even if they aren't turning their cameras on, they're going to be more engaged mentally with what you have to say or what their classmates have to say and what the content is that you're talking about. And maybe I don't have the brain space today to really dig deep into a problem, but I can easily repeat what Desiree has said, or maybe I can easily repeat what CJ has said around, uh, you know, thinking about seven times seven. It's like, oh, I heard CJ say that he thought of five times seven is 35, two times seven is 14. Yes. So thinking about that different strategy, maybe you have the brain space to add on to what someone else is saying, or I have the brain space to repeat exactly what someone has said about that same problem, or that might spark them to think, oh, I can think about that in a different way. Like maybe I won't break down seven into five and two. Maybe I'll break it down some other way, three and four, because those might be the multiplication problems I know. And sometimes I'm thinking that repeating talk move could help or maybe even take the place sometimes of wait time because wait time is so important, but it's so often really, really difficult for people to implement because it gets so uncomfortable. So having that repetition maybe could be a good segue into eventually getting into just the silent wait time. It does. It is difficult. And I've seen uh, even in my own space of, I thought I, you know, I thought I, Spent 10 seconds. It's like, no, you ask that question and then you ask for an answer three seconds later, maybe even two seconds later. Or I might have talked through their thinking time. And so being, yeah, like you said, being really intentional around that. And because our, we do need that space and time. I'll quote her book all the time, Culture Responsive Teaching on the Brain. Zoretta Hammond talks about that our brain stops processing new information every 10 to 12 minutes. And so how much, you know, more we can even give our our students time for that thinking and so that they can, like you said, also repeat what someone has said or add on. But I can't if I don't have that time for myself and it also can't if I don't hear from other people. Going back to that community aspect that you're mentioning. Absolutely. It's so important. It's so important for all of our students and especially now more than ever. Because, you know, of the psychological distance that we are experiencing with being on screen for those of, you know, for those of us who are on screen and even with, you know, there are many classrooms that are might be hybrid. So there are students at home on screen and there are students in the classroom. And so now how do I at school now interact with someone on the screen but I'm in school in person. And so just all the different ways. And again, looking at those tools or, or the strategies that we're putting in our own book bags to support. As we are wrapping up our conversation today, here on Kids Math Talk, we're all about 
teachers, but we're also about parents and encouraging everyone to continue to keep the conversation about math active and positive. So what's one piece of advice that you have for parents today? Today, it might be a couple. One of the first things is, as you talk about math with your students, find a way to connect. And that might be through a book, that might be through a fun conversation around <clears throat> what they learned or, and, and my favorite piece is a game. So some type of game um, that will support their thinking or build upon their thinking uh, to continue to encourage them that, hey, math is fun, math makes you curious. And also like when students or your children are asking those random questions around why uh, was one of my favorite stages with all my nieces and nephews, like, but why? And just, you know, they're curious. And so how do we keep them curious about what they're learning? And so those are, I think, all rolled into one one of my pieces of advice around math is how do we make it fun and how do we connect? Thank you. And yes, games, there's so many games and bringing back board games. I imagine that more board games and card games are being played because of our current situation but I wonder what kind of connections are being made during that game time. Thank you. Great. Always advice. asking, how do they know? That's yeah. an important piece of, as they're learning, like, how do you know? Now your kids might learn learn and figure out like, oh, mom and dad or grandma or cousin are trying to teach me right now. Cause I did, I've gotten those looks. And so thinking about again, how to keep them guessing and keep them curious and connected. I've gotten those looks before with my nephew too. <laughs> about trying to get him to count his dinosaur collection. He was not having it. <laughs> so yes, you definitely have to find ways to connect it so that it's just feels, it still feels natural. It Absolutely. Can't be forced. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank Amy. you so much, Desiree. This has been awesome. Thank you. Parents and educators. Remember to head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast for a list of suggested books to add to your math library. And then remember to have a conversation about these books. And parents, have a conversation with your child's teacher about representation in the classroom. Does your child not only have the opportunity to read and learn about mathematicians in various settings and from a variety of backgrounds, but also, is your child's teacher intentionally talking about these mathematicians and this history with the class? This last note is for educators. Are you actively thinking about representation in your classroom? If you're not familiar with the culturally responsive teaching framework referenced in this episode, I encourage you to check out the book Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain by Zaretta Hammond. It's an incredibly interesting read that dives into how our brain plays a huge part in bias, culture, and learning. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to keep the Kids Math Talk conversation going. You can always tweet me with questions or comments using the handle at Kids Math Talk. You can also head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast for previous episodes of this podcast. And join us next week for another episode of the Kids Math Talk podcast.